Innovation is often the result of an individual looking at the world around them, seeing a need, and figuring out how to address it in their own way. And in the late 1960s, as Ted Hake was trying to chart the direction for his life, and after transferring to Pennsylvania for graduate school, he ran his first collectibles-based auction. Consisting of presidential campaign memorabilia, Hake sold 99 items, grossing $193. Hake saw potential in collectibles. After all, people care about items because many are collectors by nature. Whether they are historians and archivists, or experience an emotional or nostalgic connection to items of the past, they hunt these pieces in the hopes of adding them to their collections. To give them a home. They want these pieces. As I like to say, these items we collect are tangible souvenirs of intangible moments and life-shaping memories. And while a sales auction was not really a novel thing in the 1960s, Ted's approach was unique. Auction houses were mainly local events devoted to antiques and items from centuries ago. But Ted realized that none focused solely on the rich history and offerings of 20th century Americana, and made these collectibles available from coast to coast. So in 1967, Ted Hake created Hake's Americana and Collectibles, the first American popular culture auction business. For the first 18 years, Ted ran the company from his home, receiving bids and delivering orders through the mail. And as technology increased and the world became more connected, Hake's Americana offered full-color catalogs in 1988 and bidding over the internet beginning in 2000. And with each auction comes a treasure trove of pop culture relics. Through Hake's, a collector has the chance to bring home historical artifacts that include items like a George Washington-signed promissory note and a Martin Luther King Jr. autographed book. Sports memorabilia that runs the gamut from a 1915 Babe Ruth-led Red Sox button to Michael Jordan's skyrocketing rookie cards. Disneyana like the one-of-a-kind Charlotte Clark Mickey and Minnie Mouse store display dolls that sold for $151,000. Concert posters ranging from the Grateful Dead to Nirvana. Comics spanning this past century and original comic book art pieces from masters like Jack King Kirby and Todd McFarlane. Non-sports cards like Pokemon, where an original uncut sheet just sold for $234,000. War memorabilia, movies and television-related collectibles, and toys spanning every decade. Really, there's so much packed into a Hake's auction, it's hard to capture it all in a simple paragraph. Hake's president, Alex Winter, summed up the reach and aim of the company. He said, Our goal in every auction is to give our bidders the best opportunity to purchase rare, high-caliber items from any collecting category that grabs their interest. Whether they are passionate about comics, baseball, original art, political, toys, historical items, you name it, they will find something in our auctions. We are excited by the bitter turnout and anticipate growing it more in the future. But over the past few years, Hakes has added another area of focus to its catalog, Star Wars toys and collectibles. 
With the release of 2015's The Force Awakens, the first sequel of a new Star Wars trilogy in the Disney era, fans piled back into collecting the action figures they had as children in the 1970s and 1980s. Beginning with the Russell Branton collection in 2017, Hakes offered 700 high-grade and rare pieces spanning multiple auctions, which helped to establish Star Wars collectibles as serious purchases for collectors and investors alike. And four years later, as the Star Wars market continues to rise, Hakes offered some incredible pieces in its latest auction, which ran from June 29th to the 30th. The auction was a collector's dream, covering carded graded figures from Kenner's entire run, as well as original art, pre-production gems, posters, playsets and vehicles, and everything centered around the action figures that started the collecting craze. And of course, the auction house kicked off the event in style, with a catalog cover adorning, heartbeat raising, rocket firing Boba Fett prototype that commanded a six-figure sum. And an auction as widely publicized and as widely known as a Hakes auction can give us some valuable insight into the hobby we love. This is a look at the Hakes Auction 232 and the Star Wars memorabilia offered in it during the final week in June. This is an exploration of some of the trends gleaned from a mainstream Star Wars auction in a year of record-breaking prices for action figures and collectibles. This is life with an 18% buyer's premium. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. offered approximately 200 Star Wars collectibles in its latest pop culture auction. If you're a vintage Star Wars collector, auction number 232, which ran from June 29th to the 30th, had a number of items that would have generated enough interest to cause you to press the bid button from the comfort of your home. And the worldwide attention these auctions draw have helped Hakes become synonymous with Star Wars sales, and have caused collectors to part with treasured and rare pieces. 200 pieces may sound like a lot, but it really seems to be Hakes' sweet spot for offerings. In 2019, the Pennsylvania-based company had over 400 lots, and I think the sheer volume and multiple amounts of the same carded figures overwhelmed bidders and led to disappointing sales that missed many of the target estimates. Overall, Auction 232 had a really nice variety of toy-related collectibles and a nice balance of items from the first three Star Wars films. 
So I'd like to read you the names of all 200 and the price realized for each one. I'm kidding. That would be extremely tedious for both you and myself. Instead, I'd like to explore some of the more relevant items and sales by grouping them into categories. And from these groupings and with the sales data, I'm sure some market and collecting trends will rise to the surface as well. But first, a few points before we begin. All of the prices I quote include Hakes's 18% buyer's premium. I will not be including tax and shipping with the totals, but these are factors that collectors often forget about when they're caught up in the bidding war for a desired item. And yet they can add another high percentage, especially in tax-heavy states and when factoring in shipping to places at a distance from Hakes' headquarters. I will not be covering everything from the auction in this episode. My goal is to capture what the Star Wars segment of a Hakes auction is like and to highlight the notable items and prices realized during one. So to kick off our exploration of the Star Wars sales in the Hakes 232 auction, I wanted to give you a quick rundown of the 21 items that commanded the highest prices. I think it's important to highlight these sales because it gives both the collector and the casual spectator an idea of the values vintage Star Wars items bring at auction and many of the high-dollar pieces are ones that either rarely turn up for sale to the public, or may be one of a kind, or one of a handful ever produced. And this list certainly contains some of the most iconic and sought-after pieces for vintage collectors. Here are the top 21 most expensive realized prices in the Star Wars segment of the latest auction. At number 21 was the unproduced Power of the Force Nikto Proof Card, graded at an 85, which sold for close to $6,000. Also in that price range were a droid size from proof card and a Hungarian bootleg Return of the Jedi Boba Fett. The 18th most expensive item was an unpainted droid's A-Wing fighter first shot, which sold for $6,700. Number 17 through 15 sold in the $8,000 range and consisted of a 21A carded Boba Fett graded at a 70, a 12C back carded Luke Skywalker graded at an 85, and an unproduced Chief Chirpa first shot from the Kenner Ewok series. Selling in the $9,000 range were numbers 14 and 13, an Uzai carded Imperial Gunner graded at a 60, and the only PBP Empire Strikes Back 41 back Han Solo graded by AFA. And in the $11,000 range were the desirable Power of the Force carded Anakin figure at number 12, and an unproduced Power of the Force proof card bearing the image of Neen Num at number 11. So that brings us to our top 10 most expensive realized prices for Star Wars collectibles. I'll go into details on these items later, but I think it's helpful to get a snapshot of some of the higher-priced items in the lot. At number 10, we have the Empire Strikes Back Collect All 48 Hanging Mobile Display at $13,003. Number 9 is a Power of the Force carded yak face figure graded in AFA 75 at $13,732. 
Number eight is a sample containing a Lando Skiff figure on an IG-88 Empire Strikes Back 45 back card at $14,278. Number seven is a Star Wars villain set three pack sample graded at a 60 for $15,415. And number six is a carded Ewoks Pop Loose salesman sample at an AFA 80 for $15,866. Number five is an Empire Strikes Back C-3PO with removable limbs first shot for a whopping $23,600. Number four is the Glassly Droids carded Vlix figure graded at a 60 for $23,627. And in the top three, at number three, we have the Star Wars 12A carded vinyl cape Jawa at an AFA 85 for $24,245. Number two is the Empire Strikes Back action figure display stand graded at an AFA Q75 for $36,301. And finally, at number one, we have the L-Slot Boba Fett rocket-firing prototype, graded at an 85, at $165,200. Not counting the rocket-firing Boba Fett, the total realized price for the 20 items tops $246,770. And when you include the rocket Fett, those 21 pieces now total more than $411,970. An impressive haul for the top one-tenth of the auction, with more than 180 items also bringing in some surprising prices. Let's begin with the rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype. Why would this loose, unpainted figure command a six-figure sum at auction? The rocket-firing Boba Fett only exists in prototype form and was marketed for a 1979 release before it was changed to a non-firing backpack due to safety and production concerns. And when it comes to Star Wars and what many consider to be a collectible icon, the rocket Fett may just be the most desirable piece of all time. In fact, some have argued that it may also be the most famous prototype of all time as well and the rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype positions itself well among a Hake's auction. It is iconic enough that it draws interest from hardcore collectors, as well as those less knowledgeable or less connected to the collecting community, but with just enough interest and with deep enough pockets to afford something like this. The unproduced Fett has become synonymous with the pinnacle of vintage Star Wars collecting, and is sure to make headlines with each Hake's sale. To date, Hakes has sold five rocket-firing Fets in its Star Wars auctions in the past three years. And each time, the Fet has been one of the spotlighted pieces going into the auction. Of the five, four of them were the earliest L-slot version, which describes the shape of the mechanism on the figure's backpack that would fire the missile. The first of these four sold in 2018 for $86,000, a shocking price at the time. 
A year later, the winning bid on a second L slot was $112,000. And in September of 2020, a third one sold for $62,000. It is believed that this FET sold for substantially less because it was one of the few that was missing the internal rocket-firing mechanism. The fourth one to sell was from the most recent auction and broke a sales record for an L-slot with a price tag of $165,000. But it is not the most expensive rocket-firing Boba Fett to sell at auction. That distinction goes to the painted J-slot figure that sold in November of 2019 for $185,000. While creating the rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype, the designers at Kenner changed the release for the spring-loaded mechanism to a J-shaped slot to keep the missile from firing accidentally. According to Hakes' research, it is believed that less than 30 of the J-slot prototype examples have survived, which likely played a part in the bidding frenzy that took place, propelling the price toward almost $200,000. It is very likely that if a J-slot were to appear in a future Hakes auction, it would break the previous record. And in the next five years, we may see one sell for half a million dollars. Holding court at the number two spot was an action figure-related item that is considered one of the rarest Kenner toy items for the vintage collection. During the run of the first Star Wars toys, Kenner released an action figure display stand that had a Star Wars-themed cardboard backdrop and could be used to showcase the first 12 figures in the line. Kenner initially issued it as a mail-away bonus before offering it at retail for a limited time and in select regions, making the retail version a rare and desired collectible. The display stand was reused in 1980 for The Empire Strikes Back and was produced but likely never made it to stores. It is believed to be one of the rarest items in the Kenner toy line and only a handful have been discovered. In addition to containing all-new packaging artwork reflecting the sequel and some of its action figures, the Empire Strikes Back display stand also came with six figures, sealed in plastic bags. The offering consisted of Luke and Leia in their Bespin outfits, the Bounty Hunter Bosk, Lando Calrissian, an Imperial Snowtrooper, and the medical droid FX-7. Hake sold an Empire display stand, graded at a 75-plus and complete with the box and all the items arranged in an acrylic presentation display. The winning bid was slightly over $36,000, which blew past its pre-auction estimate of ten dollars to $20,000. Here are three other items whose winning bids far exceeded Hakes's estimated sales prices. The first one is a pre-production piece responsible for many collector conversations the morning after the auction, and is number five on our list of the most expensive Star Wars items from the sale. Offered from super collector Gus Lopez, this 1982 C-3PO with removable limbs first shot prototype was graded at an 80 and was authenticated by Collectible Investment Brokerage, known as CIB. 
In the pre-production process, a first shot is the first plastic version of a figure shot from the steel molds. Vintage first shots in non-production colors rarely show up, especially of an original trilogy main character. And this particular C-3PO had a reddish-brown head and torso and clear limbs. The estimate for the figure was in the ten dollars to $20,000 range. But when the auction was over, the C-3PO had sold for almost $24,000. The high price likely came as a result of bidding between C-3PO collectors, the rarity of these first shots, and the current state of the collector's market. The second item that far exceeded initial estimates was another vintage prototype. This one was the one-piece torso and head first shot of Max Rebo band member Droopy McCool from Return of the Jedi. Production arms and legs were added to the orange-yellow plastic piece to complete it, and it was graded as 75 by AFA and authenticated by CIB. The estimate for what is essentially a partial first shot was in the $1 to $2,000 range. But by the time the auction ended, the Droopy McCool brought in more than $5,500. And the third item was a production piece, but something you rarely, if ever, see for sale. Over the past two years, someone submitted a sealed case of original Power of the Force carded figures to be graded, and has been selling them through the Hakes auctions. These items are given an uncirculated designation, known to collectors as a U-grade, and while U-graded carded figures are common among modern Star Wars pieces, finding a sealed case of vintage ones is virtually impossible. Hake sold a few of these U-graded Power of the Force figures during its latest auction, and the one that sold for the highest price surprised me. A Luke Skywalker in Endor Battle Poncho figure graded a U-85 was estimated to sell between $400 and $700. Instead, it far surpassed that range and ended up with a winning bid that was slightly over Before we dive further into the sales, I wanted to share three overall trends from Auction 232. The first is that this auction focused exclusively on vintage Star Wars items that were produced in the 1970s and 1980s. And for the most part, the Hake Star Wars auctions tend to showcase vintage items, with a few exceptions in the smaller action figure auctions. This makes sense because the Kenner and vintage-era items appeal to the largest audience of Star Wars fans, heightened from a vibrant sense of nostalgia and the emotional connection that equates to higher and more aggressive bids. Vintage items are so widely known that there's less of a need to explain their significance, less time required to persuade collectors to bid on them. And while Hake celebrates all decades of Americana, items from the 20th century still serve to be the most desirable ones among its bidding demographic. 
Although some figures and items we consider modern are now more than 25 years old, they do not command the worldwide hype that vintage items bring with them. If I were to make a prediction, I believe that in the next five years, we will start to see Hakes and other larger auction houses begin to integrate some of the premium modern production pieces and prototypes into their auctions regularly. I'll also make a bold prediction, one that I've been saying for a while. While the 1990s Power of the Force 2 items are interesting, especially because of their Kenner connection, I think collectors will instead focus on newer releases, like the 2010 Vintage Collection, which has really served as a bridge for vintage collectors to delve into Hasbro's modern realm. And if you look at the prices many of the newer items are commanding, a number of them are in the range of vintage Kenner prices. Trend number two was one that really stood out to me during this auction, and to be honest, surprised me. So most of the items sold in the auction were graded, and were graded by the Action Figure Authority, or AFA. There are a few reasons for this. First of all, AFA is the American grading company that has been around the longest, and is widely respected by those who choose to have their items graded. And graded items simply bring in a premium. Having a third party authenticate and assign a condition value removes a lot of the uncertainty or guesswork about an item from the perspective of the bidder, especially one who is not as connected to the hobby as others. Items with higher grades, an 85 or a 90 out of a perfect score of 100, can command prices many times higher than the same items at lesser grades. For example, a 12-back carded Luke graded at a 70 pulled in $3,200 during this auction. The same figure with an overall grade of an 85 ended with a price tag of over $7,800. Finding a decades-old carded figure in a condition worthy of an 85 or higher can be exponentially harder than finding one at a 70 or even an 80 and that may justify the hefty sum that collectors and investors will pay. And for this particular auction, most items came encased in acrylic and with a graded score. For trend number three, I think it's interesting, and not too surprising to say that there were very few bargains for value shoppers. The pandemic of the past year reinvigorated the collectibles market and ignited a frenzy to snatch up any available vintage Star Wars pieces. And that trend has continued, even as people begin to travel and to partake in pre-quarantine activities again. Looking at the items that sold for $1,000 and under, the average was still closer to the $600 to $700 range, with only a small amount of items selling for under $500. Of course, even if you were able to pick up a Star Wars figure or collectible for what would be considered a below-market price, you still have to add the 18% buyer's premium to it, which can be a pretty substantial cost. In the case of a $500 item, like the 41B Empire Strikes Back 21B Medical Droid carded figure, graded at a 75, the premium added an extra $90 to the realized price. For the Empire Strikes Back action figure display stand, it was an additional $6,000. And for the rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype, you're looking at an extra $25,000. And this is without factoring in tax and shipping charges. 
And some of these items are extremely rare. And in that case, if you really want it, these extra charges are just part of the game. But if you're looking for production items, carded and loose figures, vintage playsets and vehicles, you may find them in the collecting groups on social media or on a platform like eBay, which doesn't have a buyer's premium. Hake's Auction 232 may have produced few bargains in this current amped-up market, but there were a few sales that collectors may consider to be steals when comparing to their actual values. Here are three items I would consider to be in that category. The first would be the carded Vlix figure graded at a 60 that sold for almost $24,000. As Hakes notes in its listing, the Vlix figure is considered to be the rarest of all Star Wars figures to be commercially released. It was only released in Brazil due to the cancellation of the series and the toy line in the United States, and very few were made available to the public. Finding a Vlix figure is an immense challenge. Acquiring a carded example is nearly impossible. So a price tag of $23,600 is justified for an item like this among collectors. However, this exact graded figure first sold through Hakes in Auction 225 as part of the Russell Branton collection in November of 2018, and it sold for almost double the price, $45,430. The nice thing about graded pieces is that each one comes with a unique serial number, which makes it easy to identify and to authenticate, as well as to track it as it exchanges hands over time. And after this latest auction ended, some collectors felt that many of the high rollers passed up an opportunity to own a truly rare piece like this, instead spending the same amount of money on a more commonly available piece like a carded vinyl cape Jawa. The thinking was that a vinyl cape Jawa would have a wider appeal even among casual collectors, because of its status as one of the more iconic status pieces. However, I don't believe this was the case at all. There were two issues with the Vlix that may have resulted in its seemingly bargain price. The first is that the Jawa was part of the original trilogy, and is linked to the first 12 figures ever released. And as many collectors treasure the Star Wars film and often cite those 12 figures as the ones that turn them into Star Wars fans, that connection is essentially deeper than the connection to a Vlix. After all, the Vlix was essentially the last commercial figure released, was only available internationally, and was attached to a cartoon series that many collectors and fans had abandoned after the film trilogy ended. But maybe more importantly, and, and this is the crucial point that I haven't heard anyone else mention yet, Hake stated in its listing that it would not ship the carded flicks to the winner due to the fragile nature of the bubble. During the first sale of it in 2018, there was no restriction on shipping. I don't know if the bubble deteriorated any further since then, but with so many collectors bidding from all over the country, as well as all over the world, it's very likely that those who wanted to add the carded flicks to their collections and could afford to do so simply encountered too many logistical obstacles to make it happen. 
However, for any locals willing to drive to York, Pennsylvania to pick up this incredibly rare piece of Star Wars toy history, the price for this flick seems like a pretty good deal. And it also came in well below Hake's estimate of $30,000 to $50,000. A second item whose realized price may be considered a steal would be the chromalin proof for the unproduced Chief Chirpa figure for the 1985 Ewoks toy line. Chief Chirpa was created for the second series of the Ewoks animated figures, but the line was canceled before the figure ever appeared at retail. So in addition to this two-dimensional proof sheet being an unproduced piece of history, it is also a chromalin. A chromalin is named for the heavy paper that was created by the DuPont company on which the cardback image was printed. The paper was capable of capturing detail and color, which was needed for that step in the pre-production process. It represented the first example of the cardback's final design and was used to proof and correct the colors and the layout of the card. Chromalins were very expensive to produce and generally only one was made for each cardback, making them incredibly rare. The Chief Chirpa Chromalin also came with a quality control sign-off sheet. Hakes estimated it would sell between $5,000 and $10,000, but it came in below the bottom of the range at $4,800. I am not sure if it is one of a kind or if more than one chromalin exists for this particular card back, but given the fact it is a chromalin and is for a vintage Kenner figure that was unproduced, it should have sold for much more than it did. And that is why I would consider its realized price a steal. A third bargain would be the final item offered for the Star Wars segment of the auction. It is a mixed-media original art image depicting the Ewoks, and measures approximately 17 inches by 42 inches. The piece was used as the artwork for a children's bookshelf and toy chest, produced by the American Toy and Furniture Company for their 1985 Return of the Jedi-inspired line. The image shows Wicket W. Warwick and Princess Nisa, along with their horse Baga and their two walklings, and is done in a style similar to how they appeared in the Ewoks animated series. As the Hakes listing notes, original art for produced pieces rarely come up for sale, and with an estimate of $5,000 to $10,000, the fact that this piece only sold for $3,800 makes it feel like a true bargain. As we dive deeper into Auction 232, I thought it would be helpful to explore the items by category. So I've divided the results into three larger segments. Vintage pre-production, carded Kenner figures, and then one that covers displays, foreign figures, and boxed vehicles and playsets. Vintage pre-production pieces rarely come up for sale to the public, and Hakes has been one of the outlets to offer them at almost every one of its larger auctions over the past three years. 
These items are coveted by collectors, as they are tangible remnants from the process of developing the toys that we love. And many are either one of a kind or one of a handful that still exist. The first area I'd like to cover is the group of pre-production pieces sold by Hakes. I've split this area into three topics. Vintage prototypes, proofs, and samples. The prototype category consists of first shots and one engineering pilot. We already covered the two highest selling items from this list, which were the rocket firing Boba Fett prototype and the C-3PO first shot. An engineering pilot is a late stage sample figure that was factory painted and demonstrates what the figure would look like at retail. Often, an engineering pilot would be marked with a number or letter on the bottom of the feet, but this is not always the case. And this is the part of the pre-production process that is easiest to fake, which makes provenance crucial. The Luke engineering pilot offered in the Hake sale was cased and graded by AFA, and was verified as having the letter U on the foot and coming directly from a former Kenner employee by CIB. And while this engineering pilot essentially looks like a standard Luke production figure, it is a part of history and brought in a realized price of more than $3,300. Remarkably, the auction was able to offer at least one first shot from the six Kenner series of figures that ran from 1977 to 1985. The Boba Fett came from the Star Wars era and the removable limb C-3PO from The Empire Strikes Back. Return of the Jedi was represented by the aforementioned Droopy McCool torso and a beautiful Leia Bausch first shot which sold for $4,200. A painted first-shot Power of the Force Amana Man with staff sold for $4,400. Representing the droid's animated series, a size from with blue arms instead of green arms sold for almost $3,400. And an unpainted first-shot of the unproduced Chief Chirpa figure from the Ewoks cartoon pulled in almost $8,000. Finally, one of the more interesting first shots came from the Droid series and from the collection of Gus Lopez. It was an unpainted A-Wing fighter vehicle shot in a whitish-beige plastic and had the blue wing cannons and landing gear. Strangely, the A-Wing was authenticated by CIB, but was not graded and encased by AFA. It is an impressive piece, and the winning bid for it was $6,700. Next, let's take a look at proof cards and sheets. Proofs are essentially early printings of the packaging or card backs for a toy. With the exception of the first film, Hakes had proofs from every Kenner Star Wars series in its latest auction. An Empire Strikes Back IG-88 45-back proof card sold for $2,800, and a 1984 Return of the Jedi ISP-6 mini-rig vehicle proof sheet sold for almost $1,700 just under the lower range of its estimate. A droid size from proof sold for 6000 and as I mentioned earlier, the unproduced Ewoks animated Chief Chirpa Chromalin sold for $4,800. But for many, the spotlight pieces were from 1985's Power of the Force line. In addition to a wicket and a hand-cut Lumat proof, Hakes offered two proof cards that never made it to production.
the first for the Nikto figure pulled in nearly $6,000, and an unproduced Power of the Force Nin-Num proof graded at a 90 commanded a jaw-dropping price of $11,600. The vintage samples offered in this auction were some of the more interesting pieces and covered all Kenner figures except for 1985's droids. The one that initially drew the most attention was the 1978 Villains 3-pack set. It consisted of a Stormtrooper, a Death Squad Commander, and Darth Vader. The three packs are some of the rarer Kenner production items as they were only available in certain markets and for a very limited time. The ones that have survived the past four decades are coveted by three-pack collectors and sell for thousands of dollars. And while the figures were the same ones you'd find in any villain's three-pack, it was the packaging of the specific example that made it very special. As the AFA label notes, it is a sample with a square box and a round punch. The authentication sheet states, this type of three-pack packaging is pre-production in nature and never reached production with these box characteristics. The final price on this piece? $15,415. An Empire Strikes Back carded Yoda figure designated as a catalog sample and originating from a former Kenner employee was graded a 50 due to tearing on the card back, but sold for $2,700. Four incredible sales samples from the Return of the Jedi era sold in this auction as well. When Kenner produced new figures, often the packaging would be finished at a later date. To give employees an idea of how the figure would ultimately look sealed in a plastic bubble and positioned on a cardback, the designers would produce sales samples using older cardbacks. These pieces are true gems and provide a great visual setup of that part of the pre-production process. The earliest and likely the rarest piece was a Lando Skiff figure on an IG-88 Empire Strikes Back cardback. I spoke with friend and longtime Jedi collector Brock Walker, who told me he did not recall ever seeing this combination as a sales sample previously. And that may be why it commanded the 8th highest realized price in the auction, pulling in more than $14,000. The other three, an ATST driver figure on an Admiral Akbar card, Tebow on an Emperor's Royal Guard cardback, and a Weequay on a later Empire Zuckus cardback, sold in the $3,000 to $5,000 range. The most expensive sample, which also clocked in as the sixth most expensive Star Wars collectible in this auction, is also one of the most notable ones. It was a carded salesman sample of the unproduced Poplu figure for the Ewoks animated series. As I mentioned earlier, the line was cancelled before the second series was released. And as its included authentication document notes, this Poplu salesman sample was one of the last two characters in Kenner's Star Wars line to be produced in full production quality, albeit in very low numbers. As historical pieces go, this is one that really marks the end of the Kenner era. It's a true shame that Poplu never made it to stores, because the figure really is one of the better ones produced for the line, and the accompanying artwork on the card back is beautiful. 
The final price? The second segment I'd like to explore is also the largest offering in the entire Star Wars portion of Auction 232, Vintage Kenner Star Wars Figures. Beginning with the offerings from the first film, there is one item that to the casual collector is second to the rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype as far as iconic high-dollar pieces are concerned. During the run of the first 12 Star Wars figures, the vinyl Cape Jawa was only available for a very short time before Kenner opted to produce the figure with a cloth cloak instead. And while loose vinyl Cape Jawas are more available to collectors, finding a carded one in good shape that has not been marred by the common cape discoloration that plagues many of the remaining carded examples makes obtaining one something of a grail to the general collector focused on production Kenner pieces. This particular auction featured a carded 12-back-A vinyl Cape Jawa, unpunched and without any store price stickers. It was graded at an outstanding 85, with the card back, figure, and bubble all earning subgrades of 85 as well. A year ago, the same week the pandemic shut down most of the country, a similar one graded at an 85 sold for $8,400. With the collector's market heating up since then, and after a heated bidding war, the latest carded vinyl Cape Jawa sold for more than $24,000, landing as the third most expensive Star Wars item in the June auction. While many collectors viewed the winning bid as an absurd price for a production-carded figure, an 85 sold for more than $21,000 at another Hakes auction in 2018. And while more carded examples are beginning to experience degradation of the cape, it's simply becoming harder and harder to find ones in this condition. And as the larger auction proved, condition, and more specifically the overall grade, really matters. This was most evident to me with the carded figures, especially ones from the original film. An example that stood out to me was a 12-back carded figure from the group of the first 12 figures released for the Star Wars line. A 12B C-3PO graded at a very rare 90 sold for $4,400. A 12C graded at an 80 only pulled in $850. And while collectors tend to assign similar values to the 12Bs and 12Cs, the fact that one scored a 90 seems to be the catalyst for a 400% price jump. The prices for the original 12 figures dipped between 2017 and 2020 due to the sheer amount available and overall collector fatigue, after many snatched them up around the time of The Force Awakens. But prices are back up since the quarantine, with many of the 12-back figures serving as prestige pieces among more casual collectors. 
A 12C Darth Vader, graded at an 85, sold for $4,000. A rare small head Han Solo on a 12C card and graded at an 80 pulled in a hammer price of $3,100. Boba Fett has always commanded a premium, which many collectors refer to as the Fett tax, due to the character's cult-like popularity. Hake sold the figure's carded debut, a 21A back, graded at a 70, for $7,800. And a Creatures 3-pack, containing Cantina regulars Hammerhead, Greedo, and Walrusman, sold for $5,400. The Empire Strikes Back carded figure offering was a pretty standard affair. The figures ranged from 31 back releases like the Bespin Security Guard and the Snow Trooper to later figures in the line, like Zuckus. The average price of these Empire-carded items seemed to be in the $500 to $600 range. One figure whose price has shot up notably within the past year is Yoda. The winning bid for his 32 back debut was $811, which seems high for one only graded at a 75 but the character is a meaningful one for both the hardcore and the general collector, and I have a feeling someone paid up to get a carded example, with little regard for the grade. The most expensive items tended to be on two main cardbacks. Kenner premiered the Empire Strikes Back figures on 31 A and B cards, and some of the main characters on these cards had higher realized prices. A Han Hoth figure on a 31A card reached almost $900, and a Bespin Leia on a 31B pulled in $1,300. A 31B Bespin Luke sold for $2,400, the highest price for an Empire Strikes Back production figure during the auction. The 31B is notable since it's the only card back to contain an image of Luke walking against a white background before it was changed to a close-up of Luke against a blue background for the 32 back card. The second card back that appealed to collectors in this auction was the rare 48A back. It has the distinction of being the only 48 back card that is offerless meaning it does not contain an offer for a mail-away figure in sticker form or printed form on the front of the card. These tend to be heavily desirable, hard-to-obtain items, and the prices reflect that. A Luke Skywalker in Hoth Battle Gear, which is a personal favorite of mine and one I hope to add to my collection someday, sold for almost $1,600, and the winning bid for an R2-D2 with sensor scope graded at an 85 was nearly $1,700. For the Return of the Jedi figures, the ones that drummed up the highest bids and the most interest were ones that had clear bubbles. Over the course of Kenner's production of Star Wars action figures, the company shifted to a cheaper bubble which over time degrades and turns a rust-like yellow color. That is why it is easier to find clear bubble examples of Star Wars and Empire figures, and why it becomes exponentially more challenging to complete a set of clear bubble figures for Return of the Jedi and Power of the Force runs. 
Two rare 77 A-backs with clear bubbles, a Bosque and a Snaggletooth, sold for more than $900 each. Since Kenner had introduced them in previous figure series, it is likely that less of these were produced on Return of the Jedi cardbacks, adding to the demand for them. Which may also explain the $1,000 price tag for a hammerhead with a slightly tinted bubble. Surprisingly, a 65A Clear Bubble Chewbacca graded at an 85 and a 65C Clear Bubble Yoda graded at a 75 sold for $1,200 and $1,300 respectively. And a Clear Bubble 48-back Luke X-Wing carded figure graded at a 75 plus sold for $1,500. An interesting piece was a Death Star droid that was packaged backwards in its Clear Bubble. The Death Star droid is another previously released figure that was packaged in short supply for Return of the Jedi. I guess a backwards figure also carries quite a premium, though, as this one, graded at an 85, ended at $2,600. But the clear bubble that brought in the most money at auction was a 65B Boba Fett. This goes back to the Fett tax I had mentioned earlier. And when you combine that with a nice grade of an 80 and a clear bubble, you wind up with a winning bid of $4,153. 65-back Boba Fetts are actually easier to find with clear bubbles, as more of the 77 and 79-backs tend to yellow. In addition, the later ones also came with a clear tray to hold the figure in place inside the bubble, but is very often the first thing to turn yellow. Hake's Power of the Force selection included two of the rarest and most desirable of the last 17 figures released by Kenner for the line. Anakin Skywalker was offered as a mail-away figure, but was never sold in stores in the United States as a carded figure. And like Anakin, Kenner's 93rd figure yak face was sold internationally as a Kenner Canada release, but not to a U.S. audience. And as a result, these two pieces commanded huge sums during the auction. The carded Anakin, graded at a 70, sold for more than $11,200. And the Yak Face, graded at a 75, brought in $13,700 at the end of June. But the real story of the Power of the Force figures was the selection of rare, uncirculated, or U-grade carded examples. As I mentioned earlier, ones that are pulled from a sealed case by a grading company are given the uncirculated designation, which carded collectors covet, simply because there are so few that have earned this designation over the past 20 years. A few years ago, one of our collecting friends submitted a sealed case of Power of the Force carded figures to AFA for individual grading, and has been selling a few of them in each of the three most recent Hakes auctions. Beginning with auction 230 in September of 2020, 13 uncirculated carded figures from that case sold. And then another 12 were offered in auction 231 in February of 2021. And auction 232 contained nine more U-grade Power of the Force pieces. The two most expensive figures were Luke in Battle Poncho and Han Solo in Carbonite Chamber, both given the coveted U85 grade. Luke sold for $3,000, and the Han sold for just under 
Following that, a Luke Skywalker in Stormtrooper disguise sold for more than $2,300. The figure has been one of the highest risers and most in demand since the pandemic began, and likely sold for less than the other two because of its U80 grade. If it had received a U85, I believe it would have sold somewhere in the range of $4,000. Two other high-dollar uncirculated items were a Barada graded at a U85 and a U75 Amanaman. Amanaman has always been the more expensive and more desirable figure of the two, and I think its lower grade caused it to sell in the same range as the high-grade Barada, at approximately $1,500 each. Earlier, we discussed some items whose sale prices could be considered bargains. I would put the rest of the uncirculated Power of the Force carded figures up for consideration as well. Considering how difficult it is to obtain a U-graded piece for anyone who collects them, these prices appear to be on the low end of expectations. A U-75 Lando General Pilot sold for only $531. A U-75 Warrock pulled in $472, and a U-80 Ramba, an Imperial Dignitary, ended at $354 and $442, respectively. In today's vintage market, collectors have paid similar prices for these figures without the uncirculated designation. But if you missed out on these particular items, you may still get a chance to own one in the future. Considering the fact that most sealed cases contained 48 carded figures, we may see some of the remaining ones from this case in the next Hakes auction. To date, 34 of the possible 48 have been sold. The original owner may have kept a set of the best ones, or sold some to other collectors in private sales. But if the plan is to sell all of them through Hakes, then it's very likely we'll see more uncirculated pieces over the next two or three auctions. And for our final segment, I'd like to explore three additional categories that would be of interest to collectors. They are displays, boxed vehicles and playsets, and international figures. The display that caught my attention was a three-sided hanging mobile display from The Empire Strikes Back. Produced in 1982, it promoted Kenner's entire line of Star Wars figures, with a Collect All 48 Action Figures slogan. Two of the sides featured group photos of the previously released figures, and the third side spotlighted the nine newest ones. Collector Archive Services, known as CAS, did a fantastic job of customizing a display to house this three-sided rarity, and graded it at an 80+. The mobile display sold for $13,000. Also offered in this lot was a bilingual Kenner Canada display header card that showcased the first 12 figures. Although it received a grade of 40 due to what appeared to be water damage, it sold for $2,700. And Hakes noted in its listing that it was only one of two examples graded by AFA. A more common bell-shaped double-sided hanger display was graded a 65 by CAS and sold for $2,500. It has been very popular among collectors because it highlights the first 21 figures, which includes Boba Fett. 
Included in this auction was the cardboard shipper for the display, as well as an unused retail merchandising display questionnaire. An ungraded Kenner 20-pack display sold for more than $5,800. The condition of the item was listed as fine due to some creasing and tears, ink touch-ups, and age spotting. But finding a complete display is certainly a challenge. In the late 1970s, this display would be found on toy store shelves and on counters, filled with carded action figures for sale. And it consisted of three parts. The first was a cardboard header with the Star Wars logo, images of the 20 released figures, and an offer for what was at the time a rocket-firing mail-away Boba Fett. The second part was the large cardboard container that was open in the front to allow access to the carded figures, and onto which the header perched. And the third was a white plastic tray that sat in the cardboard container and had grooves in it that held the carded figures in place. And the final notable display piece was also ungraded, and was from the Return of the Jedi era. It was a foam core sign with Velcro backing displaying the Jedi logo, and was used to promote the film's new offering of action figures at the 1983 Toy Fair. It sold for $4,477. Included in the Hakes 232 auction were some sealed graded vehicles and playsets. I was surprised to see the 1983 Collector's Series release of the original 1978 Darth Vader's TIE Fighter sell for $2,300. It was graded in 85 by CAS, which may explain the higher price. For context, the items that sold in the $2,000 to $2,500 range were an AFA-80 Land of the Jawas playset, and from Return of the Jedi, an Imperial Shuttle graded an 80, and a Millennium Falcon graded an 75. A rarer Kenner Canada Millennium Falcon graded at an 85 sold for just under $3,400. And selling in the $4,200 to $4,800 range were an open Cantina Adventure set graded at a qualified 80, an AFA 80-plus Empire Strikes Back ATAT and an AFA-75 Millennium Falcon with a best-been-seen image and a rebate offer. And wrapping up our exploration of the Hakes Auction is a look at the international figures available to bidders. There were two notable Palatoy sales. The first was a rare 12B Leia graded at an 80, which pulled in almost $4,300. And the second was a Darth Vader figure on a Chewbacca cardback. Miscards are popular among collectors, as they very rarely occurred at the factory, and the ones that showcase two main characters will often bring in hefty sums. And this one was no exception, ending with a $5,800 price tag. The glass-leaf carded Vlix was the obvious winner of the lot, but a Turkish Uzai carded Imperial Gunner sold for more than $9,100. This piece is one of the more popular international items, and the Hake's listing description explains why. It states, These unlicensed Uzai Star Wars figures have attained cult status among collectors, 
as some feature wonderfully bizarre modifications and unique and oftentimes humorous card art, such as the example seen here, where an everyday calculator was substituted for Death Star controls. A carded Return of the Jedi Boba Fett Hungarian bootleg, graded at a 40 and packaged with Chewbacca's crossbow, reached a realized price of almost $6,500. Hakes describes the Hungarian bootlegs as lesser known than the Uzai figures, but as equally desirable. And finally, the Spanish PBP 41 back Han Solo from The Empire Strikes Back is the only AFA graded example in existence. It received an 85 grade and a sales price topping So that is a look at the Star Wars segment of items offered during the June Hakes Pop Culture and Americana auction. I promise I was not trying to create a drinking game with this, but if you took a sip of something every time I said the word dollars, you wouldn't have made it through the entire episode. But as you can see, prices and value play an important part of these auctions. They help collectors to better understand the overall market. They pique the curiosity of casual observers and may serve as a catalyst for others to hunt for these plastic and paper treasures. And the soaring prices and higher demand for vintage action figures, prototypes, and collectibles will push companies like Hakes to make Star Wars a centerpiece of every premier auction. Today, after a friend posted a picture of an item she won from Auction 232, Alex Winter, president of Hakes, congratulated her on winning it and left us with these words. Now on to the next auction. And so it goes. I can't wait to see what's waiting for us in Auction 233. As always, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Star Wars Prototypes and Production. It was a lot of fun to research this one. Often, these auctions are so massive that it's hard to keep track of what was offered and what the realized prices were. And breaking the auction down into segments helped me to see it more clearly and to be able to pick up on the larger trends happening within our collecting hobby. My goal is to filter this information from the perspective of a collector. The details are what differentiates pieces from others, or it could be the difference between one that sells for a few hundred dollars and another that sells in the thousands. And to measure the results of a worldwide auction with the elements valued by our community was a fun and eye-opening experience. I know this episode contained an overwhelming amount of information, but I think a lot of it is necessary especially in explaining and capturing the current state of collecting Star Wars memorabilia. I also think it's important to deliver that information, as long as there is some context surrounding it, some story or explanation that helps to supply you with a perspective. Because that's how we learn. 
We build on what others have set before us, and we add to it. And hopefully this episode will cause you to look at auctions in a new light, or to see collecting trends and themes that are occurring around you. If you enjoy these episodes and stories, please subscribe or follow the show on your preferred podcast platform. It's free to do so, and this way you'll know as soon as the next episode drops. And if you like the podcast, please share it with a friend, and please leave a review. These reviews not only help to give listeners an idea of what the podcast is like, but it also serves as a good indicator as to whether it would be worth their time as well. And on top of that, it also helps algorithm-based platforms to recommend prototypes and production to people interested in finding new audio shows. And a quick note, you all have been so kind in your encouragement and in your notes to me about the podcast. It's been incredibly exciting to hear from many of you, and to hear that these episodes have connected with you in some way. We're facing the start of a new week. How can you make someone else's life a little brighter, a little fuller, a little more special? Keep collecting and connecting. See you in episode 52. Thank you.